Well, good evening. Welcome to the second in the series of meetings that we are having here for revival. Let's continue our revival services by reading a few verses in Matthew chapter 9. Turn to Matthew chapter 9 and look for verse 20. We're jumping into the middle of where Jesus was. He had been asked by a certain ruler, it says here in Matthew, I believe it was a leader of a synagogue, to heal or to, actually his daughter was dead. So he came to Jesus and Jesus followed him and was on the way to following him to his house when this little event occurs. So let's take a look here. Chapter 9, verse 20, and behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about when he saw her. He said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour, immediately healed. I'll confess, for a long time I would read this account. You can read it in uh, Luke and Mark as well. It gets more details. And I never even really questioned why the woman would say, if I could just touch his garment, I'd be healed. I generally thought maybe she just kind of cooked that up. She had seen this healer. He had been doing miracles publicly. This is after he's preached the Sermon on the Mount. So... Maybe it's a logical jump just to think if you'd touch him, you'd be healed. Um, I think there's more to it, though, as, as to why she thought that. Um, and if you can stick with me here a little bit. Uh, in Numbers, God gave very clear directions on how to make a prayer shawl. And there were fringes, there were tassels. And there was a border. And the Hebrew word that was translated, and we read border, was kanaf. So, if you turn to Malachi 4 and look at verse number 2, we're going to find that word kanaf again. And here, it is translated as wings. So let's read it. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. We don't know. After this account in the Bible, we don't hear anything about this woman. But it is possible that she had spent time with Jesus and knew the scriptures at that time. And for 12 years had been asking the Lord... Will you heal me? Why won't you heal me? And she knew these scriptures. And then this healer appears. And she says, I've read the scriptures. There's healing in his wings. Or as now we're going to switch over to Greek. When she touched the hem, 
the hymn, the Greek word for hymn, I'm not prepared to pronounce tonight, so you'll have to go look that up yourself, but it would be a tassel or a border. Is that what Malachi is talking about? Doesn't really matter. She had faith. So if you have an issue and you've been asking God and praying to God, you've been spending time with Jesus, you've been going through the cycle on your spiritual life, and you're still wondering, can you heal this? Will you heal this? You have to have faith. It don't have to be big. It don't have to be strong. It has to be faith as a mustard seed. And he'll heal you. I found that fascinating that this woman didn't just make that up. She had been possibly studying for quite a long time. She'd been looking for it. So you come to revival tonight and you want to be revived. Um, follow that spiritual cycle. Spend time with Jesus, experience him, and it's amazing that we stand here almost 2,000 years later and written in a book for the whole world to read is this woman's medical history, and we can be inspired by it. So if your struggle goes on for 12 years or more, why is God waiting that long? I don't know, but this here is what he's able to do, and we can be inspired by it. So, I'd say it's time to pray. Zach, will you pray?
It is a privilege, it continues to be a privilege to have uh, Brother Jerry Priest here, his wife Heidi is here, and brought two daughters with him, uh, Sarah and Kristen. I think I see him over there. Yeah, there you are. So give him your attention. Good evening. Hope you guys' days today was as good as mine. I don't know how your days went today, but everybody that came with me to, uh, out here was happy today. So that makes me have a good day, right? Heidi got some sun, she got some water to float around in, so we're all good. This past spring, actually it probably started in the wintertime, I work for a company that does a lot of spraying. And because they have hard water, every time they mix a chemical in that water, they have to add ammonium sulfate to offset the hard water. And it can be a kind of a job that's not too much fun. Because while you're pumping into the truck or the sprayer, they have this vat that you gotta dump in 50 pound bags, and you gotta make sure that it doesn't, for lack of words, regurgitate, you know, an air bubble and it sprays it all over the floor. So my bosses got together and they decided it would be a really good idea. They heard of this place where they could get very soluble ammonium sulfate. And if they could get a whole truckload, they could mix it with three gallons of water and it could sit there by the spray shed and it'd just go much faster. Everything would go so much easier and faster. So they went and got this tractor trailer load of really mixable ammonium sulfate. And they set this tank up outside and they got their elevator and they filled this tank. And they started pumping water in. And I don't know whether it was half full or three quarters full or a third full, but they realized this stuff is not mixing up. And next thing they know, they have it full of water there's that much ammonium sulfate on the bottom, not mixed in the water. What a mess, right? How do you mix a tank that's 12 feet tall with something that doesn't want to mix up in the bottom? Well, as you look around you, a question comes to my mind, did God make a mess? If we look back at our history books and the daily news that we read, did God make a mess? Let that percolate just a little bit. 
And as you think about God making a mess because of the history of our nation or the world and the things that are happening right now, can we really blame God? Well, tonight we're going to look at three things to try to understand that we really can't blame God or say that God made a mess. Number one, what are we meant to be? Number two, what we are. And number three, how can we be what we were meant to be? So what were we meant to be? Remember last night I said I asked lots of questions and there's not a wrong answer. I promise. While you're thinking about it, let's we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. As you think of your life, what were you meant to be? trick you a little bit. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 2 verses 7 and 8. But before I read that, I'm going to read Genesis 1, 27 and 28. It says, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him, he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. That's Genesis. So what were you created to be? What were you meant to be? Hebrews chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. It says, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not, yet, all things put under him. See how those verses are pretty parallel with each other? Humanity at its best shows that we are this kind of creation. Do you have ambitions today, tonight? Does anybody have any ambitions? Heidi says yes. Do you dream? Up until I quit milking cows, I never dreamed, hardly at all. I don't know if it was the lack of sleep, being overtired, or something. The only time I ever dreamed when I was milking cows was when something really bothered me. And that only happened 
less than five times. And there's nothing wrong with dreaming or having desires. That's who we are. That's how God created us, right? That's mankind. And without this kind of a desire, would we attain any goals at all? Would we? In life? If you never dreamed, would you ever obtain a goal? You know, you go to first grade and you just dream. I just want to be a senior, right? And you attain that and then, uh uh-oh, now I just want to get married, right? And then you attain that and, well, let's have children. And then, you see what I'm saying? It's okay to dream. And I think it's a good thing that we have that amongst our young Because they can take the mistakes that they see from us as older. I'll put myself in that category. Phil's laughing at me. I'll put myself in that category. And as the young come behind us, they can dream. And they can say, look what Jerry did wrong. I'm going to correct that. I'm going to do better than this. That's what I've been meant to be. And I say, hallelujah, praise the Lord that we have some coming behind us that are meant to be better. They have the desire to be better and do things different. Because if we didn't, wouldn't that really be a mess? If the people before me had a mess and I didn't improve at all and I did the same mistakes and the same mess and my children did the same, you see what I'm saying? What kind of mess would we be in? I think it's great that God gives us this capacity to dream and make dreams come true. Because what if, what if he didn't give us that capacity? When you think of scientists, what have they ever discovered Antibiotics? What have they? And what we just went through, well, I guess we're not done with it. COVID, as an example, was COVID a good thing? I got some raised eyebrows on that one. Well, what if I told you that because of COVID, There's doctors studying it to come out with new pain medicine. Because COVID did something to your smell and taste. It also blocked other receptors to your brain. So people that had COVID, some people that had COVID had no pain while they had COVID. See what I'm saying? Without this desire from God to improve, and the dream, what a mess we would be in. If we go back here in in Genesis, 
that first chapter that I read, it said that we, we were created to subdue the earth. How's that working out for you? It's pretty good with kitties and puppies, right? We can subdue them. How about the grass and the weeds? Can we subdue them? Do we leave nothing out of, a, out of our control to subdue or to put into subjection of ourselves? You try that? But what if we do it in our own work, in our own power, and we forget about God? What's that do to us? We're talking about the God with the big G, right? And we try to subdue everything around us without his help. Suddenly, we become our own God with a small g, right? And I think I can say that we weren't meant to be that at all. We all remember the Tower of Babel, right? The people said, come, come, let's build this tower. Let's reach to the heavens, right? Let's be something. Let's be remembered, right? Let's make a name for ourselves. I think that's something that we as Christians have to be really careful with. I don't think we were made or meant to make a name for ourselves. We were made to honor and glorify our Heavenly Father and make a name for Him. We have to be careful that we're not self-serving and in the end it turns to into being destruction for us. So what are we? How are you created? Anybody want to answer? How were we created? What's the Bible say? In his image. So how does that make you feel this evening when you think about being who you ought to be or who you need to be? You were created in God's image. The trouble that I see in this area, if we go back here to Hebrews in chapter 2, in verse 8 it says, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. 
For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. See, the problem that I have is everything's supposed to be in subjection to Jesus, right? And I don't see that happening. So Jerry tries to take over, Ivan, right? Jerry tries to say, this is what it ought to be. This is what you need to do. And that's where I start to make mistakes. You see, God made it right. But it's man that makes things that go wrong. Did God make Adam perfect? Did he? Yeah. Did Adam fall? Yeah. And since Adam's fall, can we say that any of us are perfect? You know, growing up and being a teenager and going through that part of life, sometimes you think you're perfect. Or you're pretty good, pretty close to being perfect. Then you get married and you realize after you have children that it doesn't take them too many years and they show you because they oftentimes follow you. And you see mistakes that you made that they're making. Whoops. I'm not so perfect after all, right? See, none of us can say that we're perfect because of our sin nature. If we go to Psalms chapter 53. Psalms chapter 53, verse 3 says, Every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. What's that say to you this evening about thinking about who you are and who you were meant to be? Matthew Henry put it this way, Man's bad practices flow from their bad principles. See, here's where the rubber meets the road. I was meant to be a certain person, but because of what I think in my heart of hearts sometimes, I make a mistake, right? I have a bad principle. I might say in my heart of hearts, it's okay to take advantage of this person in this area, but not in this area. And when I do that, I'm not who I meant I was meant to be. And I'm not just talking about money. We can take advantage of other people's time. It can be as simple as that. We're still taking advantage of that person. 
Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Every one to his own way. Does that bring unity? Does that bring fellowship in a church when everybody has a different idea? And everybody wants to do it their way? Isaiah 64, 6, the beginning of that verse says, All our righteousness are as filthy rags. We just came through revivals with Paul Stiles there at home at Chambersburg. And he kept telling us, you know, we can have all the thinking, we can have all the understanding, but if we don't have action, what is it? What is it? If we can go to church and sit and listen and dress the part and enjoy the service, but if God doesn't grip our heart and change our heart, what's it for? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, mankind was made perfect, and then Adam sinned. And from that, we have a sinful nature that's with us all the time. Let's go to Romans chapter 7. Paul acknowledges this sinful nature that was with him in Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 15. Says, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would that do, I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. For if I do that I would not, it is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So I have to ask the question, if we were made to be a certain person or a certain person that brings glory to God, why didn't God just make man so he couldn't sin? 
Why? I'm a simple guy, so this is the way I'll explain it. I'm not putting myself equal to God in no way. But maybe some of you parents can re relate with this. You've taught your children to do certain things. And then they go wherever they might go. And you hear word back that your child did such and such. And you should be really proud of them, right? And you have to stop and think, you know, I've taught them from little up. And here they are in a different place. Mom and dad are nowhere close. And yet they made a good choice. Doesn't that make you kind of happy? So can we relate that back to God? To the question, why did he not make us? not have a chance to sin if we had no chance to sin would he be happy when we didn't sin see what I'm saying if there was no option to sin how would he be happy about Jerry what would make him happy the other side of that is if he had made man not in the likeness of God, of him, we wouldn't have freedom. Would you enjoy that? God had a rule book, and this is the way it went, and this was it. This is how it happened. There's no freedom. Or is it better to have freedom in our Christian life? To make decisions to follow him and to be what he wants us to be another way to look at it is there's no glory and honor being a robot without a choice God didn't make us to be robots and I've often wondered about that with the robotic milking systems that come out and they milk cows 24 hours a day. I enjoyed when I was growing up, when I got done milking, that someone would come along and say, good job, because for whatever reason. Maybe I brought some benefit to the farm. And they were happy about that. If we were robots, could we really bring glory and honor to our Heavenly Father? But the other side that comes with our freedom as mankind is that we can become slaves to our sinful natures, right? Or our sinful desires.
And when we do that, beings we are created in God's image, can I say that we have somewhat defrauded the image of God? In Hebrews, back to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. The verse starts out, that has put, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. And then if you skip down to the end of that verse, it says, But now we see not yet all things put under him. Did you ever look out and think you had nature subdued? Only to be surprised a little bit later. Right after me and Heidi got married, being I was milking cows, I was interested in the, the genomic testing of animals, and I went to a sale and I bought a heifer. And she was contracted for a bull to a stud. So I brought this heifer home and we got her pregnant and sure enough she had a bull calf. Well the stud, it's a long story, I'll just cut it short. The stud rejected the bull and said they didn't want him. But being this was an animal that was better than any of the rest of my animals, I kept this bull and I convinced my dad that I was going to use this bull to breed my cows. We had always had a saying on the farm that we were not allowed to have bulls. That were dangerous. But he agreed that since this was such a, for lack of words, highfalutin animal, that we could keep him and we'd have some good animals. And he grew up and I put him in with the dry cows. The dry cows would come in the end of the barnyard. That's where the dry cows got fed. And there was two gates that separated the dry cows from the milk cows. So when I would get the milk cows into the holding area to milk, I would chase the dry cows and the bull out. And then I could bring the scraper tractor in and scrape up the barnyard. This bull never gave us any problems up until one day. I put the cows away in the holding area. I opened the gate. I told them, get, come on, go. All the dry cows took off. Out the alley they went. He was right behind them. I'm right behind him. Because as soon as they get out of the way, I could scrape. And I don't know, I wasn't too close to him. Maybe those doors back there. And I was partway out through the free stalls, and he turned around. And I realized... He didn't like me no more. The only way I could get away from him was up into the rafters. And two days later, he was gone. 
happens when we think we have nature subdued, and we really don't. Some of us back in the east, I don't know, I don't see much irrigation out here, but we used to irrigate, and we'd get big, tall corn, because you got a lot of sunshine, you got a lot of heat, you add water to it, you can get a pretty good crop. You can have nature subdued, right? What happens when a hurricane comes up the coast? What happens, Phil? It goes flat. The corn's flat. What do you do with it then, Clem? Cry. See what I'm saying? We can think that we have nature subdued. And then God shows us, no, you really don't. You're just thinking a little bit too high about yourself. about the idea of harnessing nuclear, nuclear power. We do that, don't we, in the United States? We harness it, we get electric from it, and then we're all scared it's going to sometime go boom, and we're all going to be affected, right? So can we say with Solomon... That sometimes when we reach our goals and we subdue nature around us, that we can conclude, like he said, and say, it's foolishness. It was foolishness to think that we were somebody that we really weren't. We thought we had power that we didn't. Can we say that mankind is in a constant struggle to reach his potential? We all want our potential, right? We do. At least I do. But it seems like every time I take two steps forward, God says, wait a minute, back up one more. I'm not ready for you to get that far ahead. Stop. Back up. Paul summed this up too in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 and verse 24 says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? wretched man that I am. A man that I was created to be. I was meant to be a certain person. And I think I'm getting there. And then I realize I'm not there. And then Paul answers it in verse 25. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And he continues in chapter 8, verse 1, 
There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So what's the answer for us this evening? Who were you meant to be? Can I say that each one of us is meant to be a person who has Christ in you, serving him like verse 1 here in chapter 8? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's who you were created to be. So how do you get there? How do you be what you were meant to be? I already told you a little answer. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 says to whom God would make known that it, what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ where what in you in you in me in you and then you can be who you were meant to be Paul was so convinced of this truth that we can, I think we can say together that he always talked about it. Wasn't it Paul who said, for me to live is Christ? For me to live is Christ? Do you say that? Did you say that today in the middle of your workday? For me to live is Christ. What I'm doing today is for my Heavenly Father. Another statement that Paul said is, It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see how it works? God created man. Did God create a mess? No. Man blew it. We made a mess. But the flip side of that is with Christ in us, we can become the people we're meant to be. It's just that simple. But yet, why is it so hard? First Corinthians 15:22 says, "For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made what? Alive. 
Were you just created to die? To live your life and then die? I don't think so. I think from that verse we can agree that there's more to life than just to live, be created to live and then die. And I think each one of us should have a desire to be made alive. Let's go to John chapter 15, verse 5. John chapter 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me he can do nothing. What were you meant to be? Were we meant to be something on our own? No. The end of that verse says, except it abide in the vine. No, that's verse 4. The end of verse 5, it says, for without me you can do nothing. So can I say that without God, we're nothing? But with God, we can be everything that he wants us to be. You know, if we go back to that illustration, can a branch ever bring fruit? without being attached to the vine. We know that story, no. We prune our raspberry bushes, right? We go out and we cut those extras off. We don't let it lay there till next year to see if it's gonna bring raspberries. We know that answer. And yet, why is it so difficult for us to try and bring forth fruit for the kingdom of God and not have him in the center of it? Man was made like God, but he isn't like God. Is that a correct statement? Man was made like God, but yet he's not like God. Because we have a sinful nature. That's why. But yet we can bring Jesus into the center of our life. And that makes us who we're supposed to be and who we can be because then and only then we have a relationship to the vine. It 
So here's the illustration I'll let with you this evening. How many of you have bought an automobile? Lots of hands. How do you decide which one to buy? How do you know? It's what? It's loud? Let somebody else choose. My children don't like that. Our truck was totaled, I don't know, a year and a half ago. So I had to buy an automobile. My family gets tired of me searching for the right answer. Because I like to look at all the avenues, right? It had to be four-wheel drive. It had to get good gas mileage. It had to be something nice for the children to drive. Finally, I narrowed it down to a Subaru. <clears throat> I get called names by Paul Skiles for that, but that's okay. I bought a Subaru, and I brought it home, and I parked it in the garage, actually in the driveway. Does anybody want to know, want to tell me what automobile stands for? Just the word, automobile. See, automobile shouldn't be a word. Because if you break it apart, automobile. What's that mean? It's an automatic thing that drives, right? Yeah, when I parked that Subaru in my driveway, I can throw the keys at it, I can yell at it, I can kick it. It won't go anywhere. It won't do anything until I get in and I turn the key and I push the gas and I drive the steering, I turn the steering wheel and I take it for a ride. Can I encourage us this evening, the only way you can be the person you're meant to be for Jesus is to let him take control of your life. So to answer the first question that I asked this evening, did God make a mess? No. God didn't make a mess. We made a mess. And God asks each one of us to allow him to come into our lives and to make us, to make you what he wants you to be. What shall we sing? Welcome this evening. It's good to be together. It's good to be here and to be able to spend time in the Word of God together. I Last night as Kidron was opening, he <clears throat> told us to turn to Luke chapter 8 and somehow I ended up in John chapter 8. 
And as I was looking, there was this verse that popped out these to me. And this is what I read. <clears throat> he that is of God heareth God's words. I don't know what you've been hearing this week as Brother Jerry has been speaking. What have you been hearing? Have you been hearing truth? Have you been hearing encouragement? Have you been convicted? Have you been inspired? Has it spoken to you? Have you heard words of life? Or has it been boring? Has it been dry? Has it felt like nothing was happening? It's not Jerry's fault. <laughs> you can sit under some of the most exciting words of man <clears throat> and sit there dead. And really, the revival doesn't depend on Jerry. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to continue to read in this verse, John 8, 47. It says, you therefore hear them not because you are not of God. And I don't know if there's anyone here tonight that's not of God. Anyone here tonight who is not given their life to God, who has not yielded to the Holy Spirit, who is not listening to the Holy Spirit. But I plead with you tonight that if that's you, that you give your heart to God and that you allow His Spirit to speak to you tonight through the words that, that a brother will bring. <clears throat> I turn the page here, uh, two pages and he goes on in, in John 10, But ye believe not, because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Do you know the voice of Jesus tonight? And are you following it? And I don't mean by being here at church tonight, necessarily. But tonight when you get home. And tomorrow night. And every day after work and every interaction that you have, are you following the voice of Jesus? Now you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12 and I want to read, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 2. I just want to read some verses there this evening as we open our minds to the message. <clears throat> I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. It doesn't matter how well the words are spoken tonight. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That must be where our faith lies. Doesn't always make sense. 
It's not understood by our logic. It must be the spirit and the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the Spirit of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And if you're, if you're here tonight and you're not hearing truth, and you're not hearing conviction, and you're not hearing inspiration, you're not getting revival, then I would submit to you that you're listening with natural ears. That you are not of God, as John 8 said. And so tonight, as we open, I just call you to lay your heart out before God to give it to Him, to ask Him to speak to you through His Holy Spirit. It's the only way that you will find your heart revived this week. Brother John, would you lead us in prayer? Our evangelist this week is Brother Jerry Priest. He's here with his wife and his two daughters, and they're from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. And we're thankful to have him. Pray for him and give him your attention. I guess for starters, I need to set some one thing straight. We were somewhere for lunch today. Some of you know and some of you don't, but anyhow, I won't give out names. And they said, when you ask a question, do you want an answer? I said, yes. I like answers. I like to ask questions. Those that have heard me preach before 
I like to ask questions to make sure that some people are paying attention. At least one, maybe, you know. And then, as we were at another house for supper, we call it supper back in the east. I don't know what you call it out here. But it was just interesting to me today, as we went through today, both places we were at kind of got ahead on my sermon, right? I don't know if somehow they read my notes. I don't know. Because tonight to start, I want to tell you a little story about my grandfather. My grandfather was a collector of antique dishes. And he started one year to realize that he wasn't going to live forever. And he decided something that he would do for his grandchildren would be that he would take one dish that he had and get enough exactly like it, not the same color, but the same size, maybe the same print, different colors, and he would bring them to Christmas. And he would set them out on the table, and there was a number, one through nine. And as our as grandchildren came, he'd have a hat with the numbers in. And you'd pull the number out of the hat, and that was your Christmas present from him. I think it was the first dish that we ever got from him. My wife was so excited when we took it home that she wanted it in the bedroom so she could see it a lot. And for those of you that have been to my house, it's not in my bedroom anymore, it's in the dining room. She's probably showed it to you. I don't know, it might be about that big. I would call it a vegetable bowl. And that first Christmas, as my grandfather said, Jerry, that's your dish to take home, I went over and picked it up. How many do we have that like antiques? Let's see that first. So real genuine antiques, a dish this big, is it heavy? I went over and picked that dish up and it felt like plastic. I'm like, Grandpa, what's going on? You fooling us? Which one's the real one? The rest of them are just plastic. He said, Jerry, turn it over. Turn it upside down. Anybody want to guess what's on the bottom of that bowl we got? What? Nope. It's a good guess. What? Close, really close. R.S. Prussia. Does anybody know what R.S. Prussia means? That's a good guess. You're getting there. John Deere 
relates back to the main guy that started John Deere, right? And a lot of things relate back. And I won't tell you his name, but that's his name. He had it stamped on the bottom of the dish. It's a little RS and a little design above it. So I would ask you this evening, how authentic is your Christian life? You know, I can take that dish, I can turn it upside down, and I can see that's the truth. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 19 and see what we can learn about an authentic conversion. This is a children's story. We all know it. The story about the little guy, right? Zacchaeus. We're going to read Luke 19, 1 to 10. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came and down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was going to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to thy house, for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come, is come to seek and to save that which was lost. As we look at the story of Zacchaeus here, I see it demonstrates three clear aspects of what I'll call tonight authentic conversion. And I guess as I back up a little bit, we need to look into our own lives this evening. And I'm not discounting anybody's conversion. Just bear with me. Not at all. But as I look at my own life and being baptized at a young age, I don't think my conversion was at that point. Totally. 
It was several years later for me, one year at retreat, when I realized I wasn't very authentic with my Heavenly Father. And as we look at these three things this evening, I hope you guys can look into your own lives, whether you're young, whether you're old, and you can look back to your conversion or as you serve the Lord. And not to question your faith in that way, but just question how authentic are you? As a human being, I don't like to get turned upside down. That plate, you turn it upside down, it's got a stamp. Phil, do you like to be turned upside down? Are you stamped with Jesus when you get turned upside down? Does anybody have a definition for me for authentic? Real? What was that? Transparent. Transparent? Genuine. Genuine? I'm not a scholar, so I had to go to Webster. Webster says authentic is having an origin supported by unquestionable evidence. Unquestionable evidence. I picked on Phil. But ask yourself when you get turned upside down, do you have unquestionable evidence that you love Jesus? I think there's three things that we have to look into Zacchaeus' life here. See if we can learn from him. The first thing that I see is in the first four verses, and that is that we have to overcome some barriers that keep us from Christ. I don't know what they are. And as I look back into my teenage years and what kept me from Christ back then probably doesn't keep me as much from Christ now. So each one of you have to look into your own life and look what is keeping you from Jesus. What obstacle do you have to overcome? And we have to realize that until these barriers are overcome, an authentic conversion, can I say, is impossible. What barriers did Zacchaeus have? Did he have some? First one's pretty easy. Probably both of them are. What's two barriers that he had? He was short. He was short. That's one. You guys are good tonight. People around him? I didn't think of that one. 
There we go. Whoever said that. Good job. Wealth. Zacchaeus was a rich man. Am I saying it's wrong to be rich? No, don't take me that way. But he had a position of a neutral line of work. And as we read farther into this story, he wasn't really honest all the time, was he? Can we agree that he was maybe a thieving tax collector? I think so. And as I look into there and then I look into my own life and we see that Zacchaeus lived for what he could obtain, right? Is that how Jerry lives? Is that how you live? Let's just take it a step farther. As he's being a tax collector and he was thought of as a thieving tax collector, did he have compassion for those around him? As he collected his taxes and then he said, just give me so much more, 10% more, right? Just because I can. And as we look at this conversion with Zacchaeus here, in an instant, Zacchaeus knew that he couldn't be like this anymore. And that's why I prefaced my talk in this evening about my conversion as a young age. I didn't realize at that point how much my life had to change until later on. I realized if I wanted to be authentic and really be a child of God the way I was meant to be, it had to change. The second barrier that Zacchaeus had to overcome was being short. My studies said that most people in those days were not as tall as Americans nowadays. I don't know. I just throw that out there. I don't know that for the gospel truth or not. But in high school, I always considered myself as short. Because there was a lot of people a lot taller than me. And sometimes I couldn't see some things. And what do you do when you're too short? You try to look between or... Well, there was no looking between here. You have a crowd of people and, and poor short Zacchaeus is... There's no chance that he's going to see Jesus. We also have to take into consideration that where was Jesus headed during this story?
Anybody want to guess? Where was Jesus headed? Was he on his way to Jerusalem? Remember what I said the other night when opportunities arise? This is a clear example from Jesus here. Zacchaeus can't see Jesus. He wants to see this guy. He's heard so much about him, and yet he's too short, and he runs ahead and he climbs a tree just so he can see Jesus. So what are some barriers we have tonight that keeps us from being authentic? What are some barriers that we have to overcome to be authentic this evening? Do teenagers ever think that you're not good enough to be a child of God? Does Satan ever come down and tell you that? Another idea that Satan likes to tell us is that we're unworthy to be loved by Jesus. Or maybe he comes down and he says, you know, you really don't need a savior. You can just live your life the way you want and it'll be okay. Or maybe like Zacchaeus, maybe someone is keeping you from seeing Jesus. See, Zacchaeus had to get around a lot of people to see Jesus. And he was determined no barrier was going to keep him from that. So just like Zacchaeus this evening, if we have hurdles or barriers, we must face them straight on and accept them as a barrier and overcome them. The second thing that I see in verses 5 to 6 is that Jesus must intersect your life in some fashion. And as Clem said this evening, you know, if you don't know Jesus, this is the place to find Jesus. And if you're listening, he'll talk to you. I promise. Verses 5 and 6, it says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him 
and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. What are some things that stick out to you in this verse? Maybe I'll give you a hint. Does Jesus know all the stars by name? So does it stick out to you as Jesus walks up to this tree, a man he's never met? Maybe, I don't know how Jesus walked, but if he walks, I'm Jerry, I walk like this. I'm not, where's the opportunities, right? Jesus sees the opportunity, sees a man up a tree, and even knows his name. Do you know your name, Cairo? He knows us each by name. Another thing that I see as Jesus comes to this tree He knew him by name. And Jesus has a little bit of an advantage on us as humans. In that Jesus knew all about Zacchaeus. But I would ask you, when you see others around you, Do you judge them because of their sin? Do you? I'll have to admit sometimes when I see others around me throughout the world through my travels or whatever it might be, we instantly judge certain people because of their looks. We might not even know everything they do. But we see in this verse that Jesus knew his name and he loved him in spite of his sin. The next thing that I see in this verse is that this meeting wasn't by chance. Maybe some of you disagree, I don't know. I don't think it was by chance. It wasn't by the luck of the draw. Zacchaeus knew Jesus was coming that way. And I think in my own little simple mind, I think Zacchaeus was being brought to Jesus. And he was being prepared for 10 more minutes down the road. Jesus was going to be there.
In the end of verse 5, it says, Jesus or Zacchaeus, make haste, come down for today. I abide at thy house, maybe, if you want me to, if it's okay, if your house is clean. Can we just sit on the back porch, maybe? If you want me to? No. It's not what Jesus says. He says, I must abide at your house today. I think the key word here is must. And if we go back, I'm not going to say the Greek word, but the Greek word that means must for us means necessity. It was necessary for Jesus to stay at Zacchaeus' house that day. It's not just the proper thing to do. It's not just the unavoidable thing for Jesus to do that day. No. It was what Jesus had to do. Go to Zacchaeus' house. Spend time with him so that he would be converted. Can we back it up a little bit and say that nobody is ever converted without this divine must meeting with Jesus. I already said Jesus was headed to the cross. And yet he had time to meet with Zacchaeus. How many of us like to schedule our days? I don't know what to say either every five minutes or every ten minutes. Maybe it's every minute, right? We like to schedule it out. I have so much time for this, so much time for that, and then we're on to the next schedule. And if it doesn't start out right here, we're late to all of it, right? What if there's a Zacchaeus up a tree waiting for us? Just figuratively speaking, a Zacchaeus up a tree waiting for us to minister to him. Do we have time to stop? Maybe the phone rings. It's not in the plans. And oftentimes when you're going out the door, I'll just tell you a little bit about us. If the phone's ringing and we're going out the door, we're not answering it. We're already gone. We have a cell phone. Call me on that. 
will talk. And it's not in a bad way, but we need to be somewhere. And I don't take it as a bad intrusion. But we still have to save some time to meet Jesus and to do his work when it's maybe not what we had planned. A preacher tells it this way, one week I had a full schedule, all planned out with no margins. The phone rang and it was a funeral director. A man in his 30s had a tragic death and the director wondered if I would take the funeral. My first thought was, there's no wiggle room. It's all busy. And I said, he said, I can't do it. But the funeral director persisted and he said, in his heart of hearts, the spirit broke to him, spoke to him, and said, you must take this funeral. He said, when I approached the funeral home, I couldn't believe what I saw. Perhaps 200 people filled the funeral home out into the lobby and, in, and into the hallways. Over 80 cars went to the cemetery and hardly anybody knew Jesus. And I had an opportunity to share him with a whole crowd of people. We must meet Jesus in some fashion if we're going to have an authentic conversion. The third thing that I see here in the story of Zacchaeus is in verses 8 to 10. And after these other people that were around kind of make fun of Jesus. In verse 7, they tell him, you know, this Jesus is going to be with a sinner. Shame on him, right? I don't like to read into the story here, but do you think Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, did you ever think about your tax collecting job that you had? Do you think maybe, possibly, you took a penny extra from somebody? I don't think that's what happened. We see Zacchaeus come down from the tree, and in verse 8 it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. See, the third thing I see in an authentic conversion 
is that your life is radically changed. See, Jesus knew all about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus didn't know all about Jesus. Yet, I don't think. But when Zacchaeus climbed a tree and opened his life to Jesus, Jesus changed him from the inside out. And in that verse, Zacchaeus promises that half of what he owned, he was going to give to the poor. Maybe the first time in Zacchaeus' life that he had compassion. I don't know. Why did he go on in the end of that verse and say, if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold? Why did he say that? What's significant about that? Is there significance about it? Somebody's getting a phone call to tell them. Let's go to Numbers. Numbers chapter 5, verse 7. says, Then they shall confess their sin which they have done. He shall recompense his trespass with the principle thereof and add unto the fifth part thereof and give it unto him against whom he hath trespassed. See where this comes from? The Old Testament. Even though Zacchaeus was not a follower of Christ, he still knew what it took to make restitution. And when Jesus comes into his life, and radically change his thought process. He knows there's something to do. In Exodus chapter 22 verse 1 it says, If a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. See, this is all Old Testament scriptures. 
And if we go back to the story of David, King David in 2 Samuel, what does Nathan and David, as they have, as the prophet comes to David and talks to him about Bathsheba, what's David tell Nathan about the lamb in the story? Does anybody know? No phone call this time. Let's go to 2 Samuel 12, 6. We'll start reading the verse before that. As Nathan comes to David and he tells him about what he did, and he uses the story about a lamb, and this guy goes and takes this lamb from someone that was oppressed when he had plenty in his barnyard, right? Verse 5 says, And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, the thief, right? And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Was it going to cost Zacchaeus a bundle of money? Yeah. The next question I have is, was it worth it? It's not a trick question. But yet in our own lives, we make it a trick question. We'll sit in here in church and say, yes, it's worth it. But do we live it out? When Zacchaeus met up with Jesus, his life was radically changed. Can we agree this evening that a problem that we face today is religion without changed lives? I'm not pointing fingers. I love you all. But as I live my Christian life, as a sinner saved by grace, sometimes I make mistakes. And as the younger generation coming on, my children, 
as they see Jerry react when he makes a mistake. Is my life radically changed because of Jesus? One thing that I see in some people that I associate with is that when Jesus saves rich people, they oftentimes become generous. We have proof right here with Zacchaeus. Another thing that I see that is those around me that are older than me. And I can see an authentic conversion in their life. They try ever so hard not to mistreat others around them. You see, Zacchaeus had mistreated people all his life up until this day. And because he met up with Jesus, he was radically changed and decided that's not a way he wants to live anymore. An encouragement I'll let with you this evening is thinking about authentic conversion. It doesn't mean that we'll be perfect. But it does mean that we won't live the same way we lived yesterday. Because Jesus met us. He radically changed us. And we make a decision to accept that and treat others accordingly. We're going to have an invitation this evening. And I don't know where all of you are. I got Keegan scrambling. I don't know where you all are in your spiritual walk. But if you were like me as a young boy, and now you realize that, yes, you met Jesus, and yes, you want to serve him, and yes, you want to be a child of his, but as you look back and you say, I want it more authentic. I want those around me that when, they, when I get turned upside down, that the stamp on the bottom of my shoes says Jesus.
So you can stand where you are, you can come forward, or you can talk to a minister here, or just tell your parents, that's fine. Do you have a song, Keegan? Okay.
Ryan, would you lead us in prayer?